Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. All right, we're going to get started this morning with a mix. Golf is back today. Brian Taylor's coming up in a few minutes, Real Golf Radio, to discuss the return of the PGA Tour. It's going to be weird. I think we're going to have a lot of big names playing a lot of tournaments, not taking the time off they usually take. Um, but there isn't going to be a crowd. There isn't going to be the roar of the gallery as everyone erupts you know, after some brilliant shot. Not going to happen. Anyway, we'll talk with Brian about that coming up. Ross Dellinger is here to talk college football uh, later in the hour. Right now, Andy Phillips, former Ute. Uh, and, of course, all the Utes are really, and they've all got their own opinions and are following it closely. You know, what's going to happen with Morgan Scally? Where is this investigation going? What was their experience of, like, playing there? Um, Andy Phillips, the entire interview is online at 1280thezone.com. But here's a portion of it right now. Andy, good morning. Good morning. What's happening, guys? Oh, you know, Friday, the announcement, and uh, youth football fans everywhere, uh, I think, pretty much surprised by this. A lot of players have said they were surprised, too. We just spoke with Eric Rowe. He said he got the news from you. He's cleaning his house in Miami. Didn't know uh, anything about it. Uh, How'd you find out, and what do you think, based on your experience in the program? Um, Well, I was uh, actually leaving work, and... uh, got a call from Tom Hackett and Tommy and I were talking about it. Um, the, the, I initially read the news on Twitter um, and it was, uh, it was rather surprising. The reaction was as expected, um, especially given the current events in our world. And so um, immediately it was kind of, uh, I, I felt obligated to reach out to, as many of my former teammates, as many of my former coaches, uh, as I possibly could, um, just to get a, just to get a sense, uh, uh, of kind of what was going on. Also reach out to coach. I, you know, I just played with, with coach Shaw and coach Scally in a golf tournament, um, about two weeks ago. And so, um, I, you know, I've got a, I've got a great relationship with coach Scally. And, and so it's just, a, for, for me, it was, you know, getting a sense of the situation and, and what was going on and, and making sure that, um, the accurate light was being reflected. What is that accurate light, Andy? Um, well, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I try to be as objective as I possibly can in making my judgments. Uh, and I think that that light is that, um, you know, Coach Scally is, is one of the best hardworking, um, high-integrity characters on this planet. Uh, he surrounds himself with like-minded people. That's why... Um, he and Coach Shaw, you know, our best friends. I, I hold both of those two uh, in in the highest regards. Um, now, that's simple for me to say, coming from Utah, given my background, um, you know, given my skin color, if you will. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that that my experience uh, in the in the five years that I was at Utah was accurate to those who came from different backgrounds. That's why I reached out to, you know, one of my closest friends, Eric Rowe. He's one of the first people I talked to. I um, reached out to Damo, um, Kenneth Scott, uh, you know, just to name a few, just to get a sense to see if I was, you know, if, if I was being biased and if there was something that I misunderstood about um, Coach Scally's character and, and, and Coach Scally's, um, uh, you know, what, whether or not he's a racist. And, and of course, in, in my mind, I'm going, there's, there's no possible way in their mind, as they've both said, you know, there's, there's no possible way. Um, you know, he's a smart guy. 
He's a very smart coach. Here's a guy who has an MBA, uh, who who played competitive football, all American. Um, you know, he he's not naive to the fact that that racism exists. That there are certain words that shouldn't be said. Um, but he did make a mistake, and he admitted to that. So there's a uh, story in the Athletic. Chris Kimrani has reaction from a lot of. Uh... Uh, a lot of uh, ex-players that he was able to track down who are willing to comment on the record, you know, with their name on it and all that. And there were some people who were 100% behind Morgan and really stood up. Uh, there were people who had more nuanced views who wanted to make it clear that they didn't believe he's a racist, and in some cases they didn't want him fired, and they say that. But they also thought that, um, you know, paraphrasing, he had blind spots, uh, there's privilege he had and that he didn't understand, and lines he had crossed. Did you hear that from teammates? You know, um, just to address the, the privilege, Coach Scal is very aware of his privilege. I mean, his, his best friend is, is, is Coach Shaw, who, in a heartbeat, would make Coach Scally aware of his privilege. Um, they have very open, transparent uh, conversations with each other about things like this. Because if you look at the, the group of uh, of athletes that those two coach, the, de- the defensive backs, you know, ninety percent uh, are people of color, and uh, and and so he has to be sensitive to that. Um, and so he's he's a, he's aware of his privilege. He played football. He's been in locker rooms uh, for for a very long time. Um, so there are there are a lot of people that don't like Coach Scally. I should say there are a lot of my former teammates that don't like Coach Scally because he's hard on them. He can be really hard. He can uh, he, he he cuts through the crap and tells you uh, exactly what what he thinks needs to be said. Um, and and that can be I mean that can be painful. Look, I was on the receiving end of that multiple times uh, when I when I would make a mistake, especially on a kickoff. I kicked the ball in the wrong place. Um, you know, I, I kicked it out of bounds, whatever it might be. You know, not only did I get it on the field, I would also get it uh, in in film review um, afterwards. And so, you know, it's 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 a it's a really fine line in saying I don't like Coach Scally because he. He said things to me that hurt my feelings versus I don't like Coach Scally because he said derogatory terms to me. Now, I know there are also former teammates who I haven't been able to speak to that, um, that, that claim he, he's, uh, you know, said, uh, said certain words um, to them, certain racist uh, words, specifically, you know, the N-word. Um, and he, here's my take on that. Uh, it's for right now it's an accusation it's 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 hearsay um it's kind of he said she said uh what i base my judgments off of as i mentioned earlier is is character is work ethic um is consistency are you the same person that i see every single day or are you a sandbagger um are you somebody that's going to show up one day and and then you know not show up the next day and uh to say uh, Coach Scally is 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 not the same person every single day, day in it, day out. Uh, high work ethic, high character. Um, you know, it, it's word against word. And so, I guess at the end of the day, goes well. Who are you going to believe? Uh, current times would have you be very sensitive, and we, as we should be, um, to derogatory terms being used towards uh, people of color, LGBT, you know, whomever it might be. 
Um, however, you know, it's, it's also, it's, it's also not appropriate to, uh, make accusations, make inaccurate accusations to further, um, uh, or to think that you might be furthering that progress. And so that's, again, the whole motivation of, of why I, I really jumped all over this because I'm going, Hey, look, you guys, we're all fighting for the, for the same thing. You know, we all want to eliminate injustices that happen in the world. And the only way we can do that is by having transparent conversations, but they have to be truthful, transparent conversations. And, um, so that's, you know, that's kind of my perspective on this, this whole deal. One of the things, Andy, that troubles me is guys saying that it permeated the culture of the football program. I mean, I'm like you in terms of skin color, and I've been around the program, not to the level of players, obviously, but I find that hard to believe. But at the same time, of course I would. You were there. How do you respond to the accusations that this is, was an issue throughout the team? It's ridiculous. Um, Coach Whittingham does not run a program where he allows something like that to exist. The coaches hold each other accountable. You have, a, a, you know, a, a, a Polynesian strength coach. Um, you know, p- people of color are littered all over this this uh, this staff, and they hold each other accountable. And Coach Whittingham takes this stuff very seriously. So, you know, the, I I. I think it's a, I think it's ridiculous. I, I sat in the locker room um, next to my teammates who I love, who are brothers to me. And you know, does racism does racism exist? Absolutely. Are there some bad eggs in the locker room that might say something racist? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? That of course that exists. You'd, you'd have to be completely naive to think that that doesn't exist. But as far as the program is concerned, as far as players and coaches holding each other accountable for things like that um you know that's the kind of program that coach that coach Witt runs that's the kind of program that utah football and utah athletics runs now i can't speak for other teams um but i can speak for the football team um having been there five years having been there captain having talked about these issues uh with my fellow teammates um, it's not something that, that uh, I, and I don't know how many people know this, you know, there's a leadership council that's, um, that's voted on each year, you know, 16 or so players, um, and they're in charge of governing the team, you know, holding, holding people accountable when they miss meetings, when they, uh, you know, when there's disciplinary action to a point, right, that, that needs to be taken, that, that the team can handle internally. Um, and that's handled amongst those players. And, and, and those players are from all different backgrounds of all different colors. Um, and so, you know, there, there's a voting process. It's, it's very democratic, uh, and and it's it's, uh, in my opinion, completely the correct way to do it. And so, to to, to assume or to imply that that there's a racist culture that exists um, amongst the uh, amongst the Utah football program um, is is absolutely ridiculous. You have any idea where this is going, or you think this investigation could go anywhere and anything could happen? Um, I don't know where it's going, um, and and it, uh, in this day and age, anything could happen. Um, you know, it's uh, rightfully so. Some some people are made out to be the example and set the standard for um, what's going to happen going forward. Um, I do know this. I know that that Coach Scally is is a very intelligent human being. If he made this mistake once. Um, I would be, 
I would highly doubt that he he would make it again. Um, he, I just want to mention one more thing, and I have to tread lightly here. Um, and I want to explicitly say, using racial slurs is is never acceptable, never acceptable. But the world would be very naive to think that in a locker room, there the environment's different than what it is outside of the locker room in the world. Um, I'm not I'm not excusing that language, but but amongst people of colors that that word, that racial slur is used uh, back and forth, uh, as we hear in, you know, in, in music today, right? As, as brother, as, you know, what's good, dude? How, how you doing? How you, what's, what's going on, bro? Um, and there's a lot of us who are not, you know, who, who are white sitting there, you know, being called these things in a, in a, in a positive light, like, hey, how you doing, man? Right? And, and so we'd be naive to think that, that it's, not, it's not a word thrown around, um, you know, very loosely in, the, in a locker room. Um, now, I, I would, I would never. Uh, uh, my my parents taught me to never use that word, um, and so that's not, not something that I would feel comfortable saying back. Um, but it, but context is important, um, very important, and so I just I just I felt like I needed to to at least throw that out there. And a lot of people know that, um, but for some reason, people are saying, you know, a word's a word, and I completely agree. It should never be said. But you do have to look at, at, the, at the context, and you have to understand what's going on behind closed doors. And uh, 99% of the time, it's not, um, it's not ever used in, in a racist context. Yeah, I see what you're saying, trying to put some context to the situation. And obviously, you're, you're completely accurate. We've seen it, even when we don't experience it on our own level. We know what is going on as far as what's out there, and we'd be naive to think that it isn't out there. And I think that's what you're trying to say. Since you had a leadership position in this situation when you were with the program, do you think that you will be invited to, I don't want to use the word testify, but will they call upon you to get your thoughts? I'm not sure. Um you know, I, I, I hope so. Um, I, I feel like, again, I have a, an objective view on all of this. I, I, I made an effort in my five years and continue to make an effort now to, um, you know, have strong relationships with all of my teammates, um, not just those that are, that are here locally. Um, and so I, I've tried to be, be very objective and, and make sure that my judgment's accurate and so i hope so but i i don't know um i don't know how this is going to this investigation is going to unfold um i don't know what's going to happen uh you know in the next in the next couple weeks but um if there's if there's any silver lining to all of this it's that uh, and I, i i tweeted this out yesterday it's that there's uh much needed conversation happening around this around this subject and around this topic um and that's you know that's progress um that's big time progress so i'm excited for that i'm excited to see what uh what actions the utah football and utah athletics uh, programs take to um try and weed out uh, all of this uh all of the injustices that exist not just with racism but you know um you know, sexism and, and uh, you know, any kind of injustice that exists amongst these programs. Well, Andy, thanks for coming on and spending a few minutes with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate it, you guys. There's Andy Phillips, and if you want to hear the entire interview, go to 1280thezone.com. All the interviews are archived there. When we come back, Brian Taylor on the return of the PGA Tour. 
Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, time to talk a little golf with Brian Taylor, Real Golf Radio. He joins us on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Brian, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? It's so good to be on with talking some golf. I know. You ready for a a weekend full of golf? You ready to sit down and watch 72 holes play out at the Colonial? I mean, it'll be a little odd. There will be no roar of there will be no roar of the crowd. It'll be more like watching a college tournament, or or maybe some of the some of the tournaments on the European tour. It doesn't look like there are many people out there. Um, well, you, you know, or maybe the Web.com, you know, which is now the Corn Ferry Tour. It's going to be a little quiet out there, but you know, I mean, honestly, do you, does anyone really sit down and watch seventy-two holes of golf? You I mean, maybe. I'll just, you, you know, I mean, it's. I'd rather go out and play 36 holes of golf and then watch 36 holes of golf. That, to me, that's like the perfect combination, just, just for the record. Yeah, I can understand that. But uh, you think anybody's going to have an advantage over one versus the other with this situation of not having it for several weeks now? Well, I, I don't know. I think there'll probably be some that, you know, Troy Merritt's a good friend of mine. He uh, lives in Boise and, we visited him with him on the show last week, and, and he just kind of you know used self-deprecation and and said, "Look, it's, this is going to be pretty much you know everyone's going to experience what I experience on a weekly basis on the PGA Tour, and that is nobody's around watching, nobody's cheering, no, you know." And he, he just kind of kind of used that little angle as you know, I'm not one of the big name guys, so I don't typically have a lot of people cheering anyway, so it's going to be pretty normal. You know, Ryan Ryan Palmer's an interesting one. Ryan Palmer lives there; he's a member at Colonial. He's hitting the first tee shot in the return. And, you know, I mean, there's a guy that's used to playing, you know, without fans on that golf course on a regular basis. So I suppose if you think about somebody um, who is might have an advantage at least this week, you could probably look towards a guy like Ryan Palmer who's going to be a member playing what would feel like somewhat of a normal round with other really good players. Do you think that this will truly feel like a intense PGA Tour? With the usually we're tracking, you know, uh, the the points you need to get on a Ryder Cup team, or uh, somebody getting exemptions, or somebody kind of getting kind of rounding in a form, getting their game ready for the next major. And and so we usually have all these storylines and guys ups and downs. But because everything has stopped for what like three months now. Is it just going to be everybody's happy to be out there and none of those normal storylines we to chase are going to mean anything or are they going to be much discussed in this first week back? Yeah, I think people are going to try to manufacture that. That's a great point, DJ, because uh, listening to some of the press conferences from the week, it, there isn't a lot, right? It's not like, well, you know, how, how are you, you know, what did you do after you came so close last week to, you know, after you, after you three-putted to lose the tournament, you know, what did you do to get better this I mean, there's none of that, right? Or, hey, you're like you said, you're you're this far down in the points point standings. And by the way, the the PGA of America announcing that Captain Steve Stricker, if the Ryder Cup is played, 
uh, we'll get six captain's picks. So half the team will be captain's picks, which is interesting. Tony Fino currently at nine on that list. But, yeah, so there, there really aren't those storylines coming in right now because it's, it's literally like, well, let's just, you know, like what did you do over the last three months? How did you keep your game sharp and your mind sharp? And, you know, I was listening to DJ this morning. He's like, I went fishing, you know. I mean, it's just, it's, it's not, there's not a lot there. It's, there's nothing to pick up on. There's no momentum, as you said. So it really is going to be what happens in these first couple of rounds to give us something to really build on for the weekend. And then what happens over the weekend that we can build on going into next week. And the hope is, is that it, the storylines that end up developing out of these four days of golf are actually golf and not – uh, some sort of breach of safety protocol or, you know, and, and uh, heaven forbid an outbreak, you know, of, uh, of COVID or anything. So yeah, here, here's hoping that we can actually have some sports, talk about some sports, watch some sports and sort of just have that be our, our, what we enjoy seeing and talking about. You talk about building off of it. If this thing goes well, what do you think about fans down the line and when that'll happen? So Ohio announced that uh, I think we're four weeks from Ohio. They're going to do back-to-back there at Jack's Place there um, at Muirfield Village, uh, back-to-back events. And uh, there's the governor of Ohio saying, bring on the fans. So we'll see him then. Uh, and hopefully that goes well unless something changes between now and then. But uh, I, th- is it, I think it's going to eventually um, look how we remember it looking. Um, you know, maybe with concessions and other things, or there'll be some – precautions taken i would suspect but and that's okay there, there's there can be some healthy um corrections out of you know some of the hygiene stuff but yeah, otherwise i think you're going to start seeing some fans get back out there golf is you know golf's in a perfect position to welcome that right obviously you have crowds um if tiger's playing people are six eight deep and slamming in there and craning their necks and you know inches away from each other's faces trying to watch a guy hit a golf ball but um, outside of that, at least, at least you're outside, right? You got fresh air, you've got some breeze, you've got, you know, it, it is a little bit of a uh, of a favored venue than being inside a, an arena, for instance, right? Uh, so, I, I think we'll see fans come back. I, I hope I hope things, you know, continue to progress in that way that we keep working towards a cure so that we, you know, or, or a, a, a vaccine rather so that we can start to have normalcy throughout all our segments of life. But, but I think golf in particular has been great as an outlet for people during this time when it was shut down. And it's, I think it's going to be great as a return for fans to be able to watch live sports. I saw that uh, Jordan Spieth's like 40, for one, 40 to 1 to win. Rory McIlroy is 8 to 1 to win uh, based on what? Just uh, – Rory being Rory, I, I don't know. I don't know how they do this stuff. Well, it, yeah, I mean, what can you go off of, right? right. I mean, Rory coming into this week, let, let, if, if we say coming into this week and we start to go off what he's done this season, well, that was like a season ago, it feels like, right? But, you know, before the break, Rory was by far the hottest player, you know, on the tour. He had played, I think, seven events and had seven top fives. I mean, the guy was lighting it up, and he had a W. So he's the number one player in the world. They, they paused the world rankings which is kind of an interesting thing um, because there were some tours maybe in, in, in various areas that were still going. And, and so they wanted to make sure that nothing disrupted the, the current order of world rankings. And so that was paused. That resumes this week. And so yeah, I think you look at Rory as the number one player in the world, and, and he obviously was playing well before. We all know golf is golf is a bit of a fickle kind of thing, right? I mean, you can be playing great, and you can, you can have – but three months is an eternity, 
I mean, you talk about having a <clears throat> having a window where you're playing well. I mean, a three month break is a lot, and so uh, we'll see. But these guys are the best players in the world. It's what they do. They're itching to get out. I think these guys are going to have some fun. Um, I think I think we're going <clears> to <throat> probably have a little bit of. Uh, light humor with guys that are, you know, they knock in a long putt and they just instinctively wave to nobody. But <laughs> I think I think we can have some fun with those little gestures and sort of idiosyncrasies. Uh, I think there's going to be some fun with the the fans or the caddy uh, uh, player exchange. How they're not supposed to, well, who's touching clubs, not touching clubs. Who's you know uh, that, that's going to be a little bit uh, quirky and, and and may provide some some comic relief, but. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, I think you're going to see. I think you see Rory play well. Um, you know, you mentioned Jordan Spieth. That's one of the unique things. Like Jordan is actually a storyline coming into this because he's been playing awful, and he's had three months off to try to get things right without the scrutiny of the media on a regular basis. And typically, when a golfer's struggling and they're trying to get things right, they got to go back out on the, the, the stage in front of everybody and and fail and and look horrible and then answer all the questions, even though they're in the middle of working on things and they might be seeing some progress in certain areas. It's hard to see. When you're shooting, when you're putting up bad numbers, so um, Jordan's had some time off. Uh, he's been able to, you know, like everybody has. So guys that, that guys that needed to work on some things, this could benefit. Guys that were red hot, like Rory, I don't think you know. You never want to stop playing when you're hot. So uh, th- those are, I guess, some of the sidelines that maybe you'd look at coming in this week. So we've seen in the general world here, as far as golf courses have been remained to be open, or they've been reopened a lot sooner than other places. And one of the they have a lot of precautions now, whether it's one person per card, or you can't touch the flag stick, or the no rakes in the traps. Is there going to be anything different at the PGA level relative to what's been going on? Yeah, so you know that, that that caddy the player relationship. So there there are some things. So the players are, are not supposed to touch the flag sticks or the rakes, which is pretty typical, right? Normally, normally the caddy handles that anyway. Sometimes out of convenience, a player might grab a flag stick for somebody. But they've asked that the, the, the caddies only touch the the flag sticks and the rakes and uh, the golf bag. But the players are supposed to pull the clubs. So typically, a caddy, you know, there, there's a natural muscle memory, you know, with a you know if a guy's coming out of a you know, hitting a sh- an iron shot into a green, an approach shot. You know, the caddy's right there, ready to take the the the, the eight iron or the wedge or whatever he's hitting, and ha- at the same time, hand him his putter. And 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 that's not supposed to happen. So, in order to try to to maintain, you know, the social distancing and the less, you know, keep people from you know spreading any potential things, um, the, the the player will pull the club and put the club back in the bag, and the caddy's supposed to not touch the golf club. So, and then there's sanitizing stations on every tee box. So. Um, once a once a caddy touches a, a rake or a flag stick, apparently there's a volunteer that'll come out and wipe that down. When they get on the on the box, they're they're going to be sanitizing golf bags, you know, um, several times throughout a round. Which, again, I, I'm not sure how much of that is, you know, making sure that you're optically doing everything that you could think of to do versus what's actually helping. I think there, there's probably some discussion around that, but at the same time, they're 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 trying to they're they're trying to keep what they can from. They talk about a bubble, right? They're trying to keep a bubble around the players. Uh, they're not allowing their families to come out. They're re- asking them to stay in a specified hotels or bring their own RV if they're going to stay in that. And they're testing them every time they get to the golf course with the temperature. They're, you know, they're going through all these things. And then on Saturday, you make the cut. Saturday, they're going to give you another test, and that gives them a couple of days to process that test to make sure that you haven't come down with it in the meantime. And then they're chartering flights be- for all the tour players and the caddies to go ahead and and uh, charter over to the next tour event. So they're trying to sort of take this bubble of the tour, come into a, a city, 
not not spread anything within that city, not have any of their tour players uh, in, infected, and then move on to the next one so that they can keep playing. And and so that there are some things that they're doing, um, and and really trying to, to make some efforts to do this safely. And and I think the last thing we want to see is a, is an extended delay, an additional delay. So along those lines, uh, as long as there is no delay because there's no massive outbreak or something like that, these guys have been off 13 weeks. One thing that I find a little bit of a drag about golf is, you know, there's a big tournament, there's a major, and the week after the major, everybody's off, right? But now that they've been off so much, I've been hearing some stuff like these fields are going to be loaded every week. We're not going to have these usual, you know, there would be a few down weeks scattered where guys take time off and it's not as elite a tour. You think we're really going to see, you know, I think it's 16 of the top 20 at Colonial this week. And no Tiger, obviously, but 16 to 20, that's that's a pretty good deal right there. Are we going to see that week in and week out? I think you're going to. You know, guy, look, there's 11 weeks left until you get into the playoffs, and there's a lot of guys that don't have any FedEx Cup points. You know, the way the big names schedule their, their or, or handle their schedule they have to grind so hard in the fall when you go from you know the major season to the, the playoffs with a WGC or two sprinkled in there and then right into some sort of a cup. You know they they typically take that fall uh, restart time off, and that's when a lot of the guys that have just come off the Corn Ferry Tour or some of the guys that are further down the list they go out there and they make hay and they get the points built up and you know and it's like they almost give them a head start and then the big namers come you know roaring back in you know, in January, February, March, and leading into the Masters. And by the time you get to the FedEx Cup playoffs in August, you know, those, those guys that got that little head start, they're barely hanging on for their card. And the big names come roaring back, and they're back in the top 10, 20, you know, 30 type thing. So, um, but, but in this case, it got all shut down before those big names could really get rolling. And so a lot of them, like Brooks Koepka, like 200-something in the FedEx Cup standing. So technically he wouldn't even make the playoffs if it started today, which is, which is unique. So those, those guys got some ground to make up. Uh, I think just like all the rest of us, they've been sitting around bored. These guys are, uh, are competitors. Uh, DJ saying this morning the biggest thing he's missed is the competition. I, these guys are that, that they thrive off of of being go, being able to go out there and and compete against the best in the world and win. And so I think you're going to see him come out and play. I, you start hearing about guys that are tired. Well, then they, you know they haven't kept themselves in shape over you know over this off off time and 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 that's their deal. But I, I think you're going to see guys giving it a go and trying to play as much you know. Uh, six, seven events in a row, eight of the, eight or nine of the final eleven events. You know, just to just to get themselves ready to go for the playoffs. And, and here's another thing to consider, DJ. Most of the contracts outside of the largest names, I'm talking about the superstars like the Tigers, Phils, Rory's, those guys. Outside of that, there's bonuses associated with playing at least a minimum of 20 events in the year with yeah. your sponsors. So if, if you have a sponsorship deal with a particular company, you know. You, you you get you don't get the full benefit of that unless you play at least twenty events. So there's a lot of guys playing for other reasons besides just their FedEx Cup points and, and the actual game. And there's there's a business side of it as well. So I follow Golf Digest Brian on Instagram, and this morning they had a question: Who will have the best post quarantine facial hair this week? <laughs> <laughs> You see where we're at? Back to DJ's question about the storyline. <laughs> right. <laughs> Not Jordan Spieth. I just saw him interviewed, and he's clean-shaven. Oh, man. Uh, I think most of the guys probably, you know, I, I don't know. There comes a point, though, right? I mean, I, I think on a normal basis, these guys are fairly well 
uh, kept, if you will. Um, and so they've probably let it, letting it go for, or have let it go for the last, you know, three months. And maybe, maybe they're tired of it and ready to shave it back down again. Who knows? But, uh, but tour, tour players are funny guys, right? I mean, they're, you know, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty vanilla kind of, you know, atmosphere. And so, you know, guys will do some funny things with facial hair or, you know, obviously traditionally weird pants and, different kinds of things so um it's uh it, it, we'll see I, I i don't know I, that's not one that i get into but it's uh it could be a it could be a no shave november in june no it, it's these okay. guys play these hot and humid spots and it just looks miserable and we all play i mean you go to a golf course in utah and everybody's in shorts and we're not dealing with the humidity the last thing you need is a big old beard I mean, I'm surprised baseball players do it, but they're not out in the sun for you know four or five hours every day. That's a good point. Now, look, I'm I'm a clean shaven guy, so I I, I kind of think sometimes like I'm going to grow this thing out, and after about a week, I'm like, nope, coming off. So I'm with you, man. I don't like the itch. Well, we appreciate a few minutes and uh, enjoy a weekend full of golf. Looking forward to it, guys. Thanks for having me on, and uh, hopefully, we'll uh, enjoy some live sports here, and it'll. You know, I thought the match turned out pretty good a couple weeks ago, even though it was pouring rain in, in Florida. But I, I got my juices going, and I'm excited to see these guys get back out there. And, uh, you know, I, I just I want one player when he makes a, a long putt to just go, woo, or something, you know, in, in dead silence. It'll be fun. To, that, that's the kind of stuff that'll be fun to watch. I suspect when someone crushes a good drive, they're going to turn to a camera and talk about how they activated their calves. I think that's the one <laughs> that's going to stay with everybody. <laughs> or if some random caddy yells "Baba Booey" or mashed potatoes. That's actually the best thing about not having fans, not having to listen to that off the tee shots. Thanks, Brian. See you guys. The PGA Tour is back. Real Golf Radio never left. Brian and uh, Bob Casper every Saturday morning here on the Zone Sports Network. Ross Dellinger, National College Football Writer for Sports Illustrated. Next. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it is time to talk college football with Ross Dellinger, national college football writer for Sports Illustrated. Ross, good morning. Morning. How are y'all? Doing well. Uh, I'm reading different stuff. Uh, there, are, uh, we, we heard the Big Twelve commissioner come out uh, uh, about a week or so ago and say, "Hey, I'm more confident now than I was 30 days ago." We're also seeing some individual schools that are testing athletes, and there's a lot of positive tests popping up, and some people worry about that. How confident are you before we start breaking down the football that the football we break down now will actually happen? Uh, you know, Labor Day weekend. Well, pretty confident. You know, I think for a while now we've been moving in the the right direction to, to you know start football on time. You know, the last three weeks or so, it's it's kind of been there been a lot of signs. Uh, you know, and the latest one being the NCAA's uh, preseason plan that they've uh, that they've uh, outlined and we'll vote on and we'll almost certainly approve tomorrow to kind of phase in workouts and training camp uh, before. We start the season, so all, all most signs are positive. But I think those positive tests 
uh, were expected, you know, when athletes uh, get back to campus. Uh, as long as you don't have too many or uh, you don't have um, a lot of them, you know, later in the year, like into August or so. Uh, I think initially, though, you, we all kind of knew there were going to be a few positive tests. Um, and certainly any kind of outbreaks can really derail the uh, – the forward progress, you know, but right now it, it you know, all signs kind of uh, point to us, you know, starting a, a season on time. So since you have them uh, signs pointing to a season on time, I would assume that you mean that you believe that it would be a complete 12 game season. What about fans in the stands? What do you think of that? Well, I think they're certainly going to try to get all 12 games in. I think you might see a situation where some schools might play, uh, might not play all 12 games because of, you know, an outbreak or something like that that might uh, end up canceling uh, games. Uh, they, they're certainly preparing for that to happen. They're preparing for disruptions, uh, interruptions, and, and even before the season starts in, in training camp, maybe in August, you know, it, as part of the, the NCAA's preseason plan, you. You know, a team has to practice uh, four weeks in order to, to play a season. If they don't get those four weeks in, they don't they can't start until they do. And uh, so there could be some interruptions um, in August uh, from virus outbreaks, and you might not be able to start on time some teams. Um, so there, there are certainly some teams that, that might not play a full schedule, and that's kind of one of the big issues that conference commissioners are discussing is, what do you do um, with a team that, you know, is seven and one in the conference versus a team that maybe didn't play all of its conference games to that five and one or six and one, you know, when it comes to tiebreakers and such. So they have different models for, for a lot of that. You know, as far as fans, that that is one of the biggest uncertainties right now. And, and I think it'll be that way until we get into August. I, I've seen some athletic directors uh, not, not expecting to have any kind of real concrete plan on attendance until early to mid-August. And that's because as we, you wait longer and longer, you know, we learn a little more and more about about the virus and how it impacts things. And, and uh, the longer you wait, kind of, the better uh, it could be as far as, uh, you know, how many fans you could have in the stands. And we're going to see different schools do different things, you know, depending on how the virus impacted that school or that region. Might have 20% in the stadium compared to 40% or 60%. Uh, you've seen a lot of uh, athletic directors announce their plans to hold, you know, a full stadium, you know, capacity. I, that's, you know, doctors will tell you that's pretty implausible. Um, but right now, that's their expectation. Uh, you know, because if you're if you're doing social distancing in a stadium, and you do six feet uh, between, you know, groupings of four or six seats, uh, and most architects and, and doctors will tell you that. Uh, you're not going to be able to fit more than 20% in the stadium. Uh, so it'll be interesting. And that, like I said, it's, it's we got probably two and two months or so until those things might um, be a little more con- concrete. You know, there, there are a lot of unanswered questions right now when it when it comes to attendance. Ross Dellinger, national college football writer for Sports Illustrated, joining us, and you've got a story out about this that uh, that people can read online, and uh, obviously. Revenue is going to take a hit. They're going to have to. Uh, they're going to be a lot of issues with expenses. Do you think the way recruiting has changed 
Uh, you know, guys haven't been able to get on planes. Obviously, coaches have had to, football coaches have had to recruit, and other sports coaches too have had to recruit virtually. Do you think that's here to stay, just to save money, fewer rental cars, fewer hotels, less per diem, less airline tickets, all that stuff? Certainly, uh, for these mid, mid, you know, mid-major type programs, the group of five programs, I, I think you are going to see uh, more of that. You know, virtual type recruiting and Zoom Zoom uh, interviews and, and, and tours. You know, visits through Zoom and stuff like that. Uh, you know, what you also might see that sticking around is the virtual meetings, just from a team standpoint. You know, you're not going to see um, a full team room with players, you know, shoulder to shoulder uh, uh, at a, a team meeting uh, this year, maybe beyond, you know, you're going to have a, a social distancing type meeting or you're going to have it online. You can hear a lot of coaches that are going to keep doing the virtual uh, meetings with their players and a virtual film study and stuff like that. They they like it. You know, players can do it from wherever. Um, so you might see that stick around too. You know, there's a lot of things in society that are going to stick around uh, after the virus and, you know, after the pandemic is over because probably already going to always going to have the virus lingering around. But after the pandemic kind of ends, um, you're going to see a lot of things stick in society. I, I think the same way in sports, you know, uh, when it comes to, to uh, you know, the virtual recruiting and, and the virtual meetings, uh, just you know, from a team standpoint as well. I heard some coaches say that because the players haven't been with the strength and conditioning folks the way they normally have, that they may not be in the best of shape compared to where they used to be, and they're thinking that depth is going to be more important than ever. How much do you buy that theory going into the season? You know, obviously depth depth is always important, but but I think a lot of them are right. You know, these. Uh, Athletes, uh, especially at the, the major college level, are used to basically training year-round. Um, they get off, uh, you know, the calendar starts. You know, if you, you pick up the calendar after the football season ends in, in December, January, um, they get a little bit of time off in January, and then they start the winter training in February with strength and conditioning coaches, and then they, that leads into spring practice in March and April. Um, and then they get a tiny bit of time off in May, and then that leads into summer workouts, you know, in June and July. And so that's what they're used to doing. Well, they missed most of March, uh, April, May, and a lot of them will miss parts of June. So certainly they won't be in the kind of shape uh, that we're normally used to seeing players in. And, uh, and that's why the NCAA has instituted that uh, enhanced training they're calling it uh, in mid-late July uh, to give coaches a little more time with walkthroughs and such and strength staff a little more time to ready players for camp and thus, you know, camp readying them for the season. But there's a lot of time missed, and I'm sure we're going to see the impacts of that when the season begins. Ross Dellinger joining us, National College Football Writer for Sports Illustrated. This is way out there on the horizon, but I'm curious, as the National Writer, have you had any conversation with the folks who run the playoffs, the New Year's Six games, the other bowl folks, and are they all on the same page as what the postseason might look like if it happens, if it doesn't happen? It'll be different if it does. Uh, what options are you hearing for December and January? Yeah, you know, that's that's one of the things that maybe it's because it's so down the line that 
I haven't actually gotten around to is is you know the, the postseason of football. I mean, I've read some other stories and such. Uh, you know, the bowls are they're going to be there. You know, they they obviously they make um, a lot of money, and they're gonna they're gonna be able to contort. I think their schedules and however they need to. Um, Maybe you have a drop off in a few. Who knows? It just depends on how things go uh, with the pandemic. But uh, I haven't talked to a, 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 a good number of those folks. Uh, now the CFP, I, I don't expect you know many changes there. Uh, really, you know, I know there's there's a lot of written at the start of this pandemic that maybe this will be uh, the the you know, trigger to to expand the. Uh, the playoff. I, I mean, I think you know we're going to get an expanded playoff at some point. Uh, I don't expect anything immediate to happen because of this, but certainly these schools need. Uh, you know, they're going to be losing some money if you expand the playoff. You obviously expand the, the payouts and such. So that's certainly a possibility, but not. I don't think not for this year. So I, I would guess that uh, you know everything's pretty much on schedule. The, the, the problem with the, obviously the bowls and in the playoff, they take place during the normal flu season. So, you know, you, you wonder how that can uh, go down if, if the pandemic kind of lingers and we get a second wave or, or something of the virus or a third wave or whatnot in December and January, how that impacts travel. Think about all the, all the players and athletes that travel for bowl games across the nation uh, in, in obviously the college football playoff too. So it, it might just be uh, those decisions might, you know, come deeper into the fall. So you have strong East Coast ties, and we're trying to decide out here in Utah the issue with Morgan Scowley and the, and the racial slur that he sent in a text. How big of an issue is it? Does it even transfer to where you could call it a scandal? From being at it from a distance, how would you view it? Well, it's not, you know, it's not only there, of course. It seems to be a, a movement that, you know, obviously that just pops up, and you've seen a lot of uh, – you know, head coaches and, and strength coaches look kind of silly. Uh, obviously, look look bad for some of the uh, things that maybe they that have come up that they've said in the past and done. You know, at Iowa, obviously, a lot of that is uh, going on. You, you saw the, the stuff with uh, Florida State uh, last week, and then obviously you mentioned uh, there at Utah. So it's 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 a kind of a a national thing right now. We're seeing. Um, you know, you, you coaches and in, in specifically strength coaches, you know, they say a lot of different things to motivate players. And, um, and sometimes there's a line there and they, they cross it quite a bit, I think. And those days, because of the uh, empowerment of, of athletes, those days are, are, I think, over. You know, we're kind of seeing the, the end of that. Um, you know, you can motivate, you have to motivate athletes in different ways now. Ross Dellinger, National College Football Writer for Sports Illustrated, joining us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. So, do you think there are more big surprises out there, or can we largely predict how this is going to go, or do you think we should brace for some crazy curveballs that we can't anticipate right now? Like as far as the season? Like yes. the, the virus and stuff? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think the biggest one is, we kind of mentioned it earlier, but the potential interruption of, of camp. You know, if you have a flare-up or some kind of outbreak in, in August, and these teams have to have that four-week of practice, before the four weeks of practice where they can start, you know, if you have an interruption of a few days or something, are you going to be able to start on time? 
know, that's that's one kind of big thing that I think uh, officials are, are fearing that that could happen uh, during the season. You know, um, uh, some kind of universal testing protocol is is going to be needed, uh, where where everybody's on some similar pages and they're discussing that from a conference standpoint on how to get a more universal policy uh, for testing during the during the year and what players are ineligible when you have a positive test, how you do contact tracing and ineligibility of those players. So those are all things that, that have to be taken care of. And, you know, another big fear, obviously, is, is the, a second or third wave of the virus coming in the middle of the football season. You know, they even have models of a, a split season. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, that's certainly a, a concern as we move forward. So assuming we have a season and it's played out uh, as much as regular can be, do you think it's the same six, eight teams that we've had vying for the 14 playoff and will be the same again? You got to walk through it. You kind of broke up on me. What was that again? About the playoff. If we have a regular yeah. season the way we know it, do you think it will be the same teams that we've seen the last several years vying for the playoff again? Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like it would every year. That's the case, right? Uh, uh, it, it does. It. Uh, I, I would. I would expect some of the similar players to to be in there. Um, you know, it's just that's what we've gotten to in football. Uh, is is the same with six to eight to ten competing, and a lot of that's because you know budgets and in uh, recruiting territory, and you know I don't I don't necessarily expect that to change anytime soon. Uh, you know, the, the Alabamas and the um, LSUs and the Clemsons and the Ohio States, uh, I expect them all to be there. You know, this year, it's are those the next rung of teams that are on that level, are they going to be able to compete this year like Texas and uh, USC? You know, can they, can they come back? Um, uh, you know, maybe even Michigan. I, I'm, I'm certainly watching that. Like, you do every year, you're kind of waiting for those teams because they're strong, uh, you know, histories and, and uh, athletic budgets, uh, you know, finally maybe starting to compete. Well, Ross, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on the air and sharing your thoughts. Uh, Ross Dellinger, National College Football Writer for Sports Illustrated. Thanks, Ross. Thanks, guys. There's Ross Dellinger, National College Football Writer for Sports Illustrated. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines are on the way.